Ray, I was really hoping that you'd have like a like a like a crown on when you came on today. Well, I, it's in the <laughs> it's in the shop. It's getting fabricated right now. So. Ah, it's getting fitted to the getting fitted to the head. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I don't I don't have a crown tailor at the moment. He's waiting for the head to get back down to normal size before he gets the crown fitted. Yeah. <laughs> He's the killer. He's the filler killer. Well, yeah, it's a whole different, it's a whole different look, Ray, coming on the show is is like the guest of honor as opposed to one of the uh one of the you know talking heads. Uh, yeah, one of the talking heads, one of the, the people. So congratulations. That's a lot Thank of you. that's a yeah, cool stuff. And it, it it's it's interesting, you know. I've been looking forward to talking to you because you know it's not like you're nobody from no place who beats up, you know, you're, you're a, t a really talented player who plays a lot and really understands the game, but still for someone like me, the idea of um, someone being in somewhat uncharted territory is always kind of a fun, you know, it's always interesting to me to see what, what the person was going through emotionally and mentally and keeping themselves in check and and celebrating and trying not to get ahead of yourself and all those kind of things that get rolled into you know i'm sure it just had to be like on hyper speed yeah uh, during a match like that uh so um you know i i would you know t tell us tell us what you learned about yourself what you learned about the process through getting there through the match and 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 beyond because that's really interesting to me yeah i think um you know i'm I, I found myself kind of in a position where i'm learning in real time right or, or acclimating in real time to these new scenarios that you kind of you know train for mentally uh all the time, really, you know, I, I kind of am somebody who's very, uh, in the self, uh, reflection, self awareness kind of model of things and, and really try and always take inventory on where I'm at and what was the key point that, you know, needed to be adjusted in order to get two degrees shifted towards closer to being, let's say fully actualized. Right. And, um, you know, in that particular match, you know, it's a culmination of a lot of, you know, prep work that, uh, you know, towards the end of last year, I started really feeling some kind of hints of, of, you know, really what I would consider world-class play, um, coming up in my, in, in my, in myself, there was a, a, a tournament that I played in Miami, a, a, a memorial tournament where, um, you know, I really started kind of self-play at a super high level and then again um again there was a, a tournament a couple weeks ago in in lantana plantation where i could sell really some high level play coming out and then you know at derby i really got settled after you know my third round win against wolford i really felt myself kind of lock in because i didn't train like let's say a, a lot of table time leading up to derby um I kind of more took care of my mind and my body, a lot of kind of like just calming stuff, you know, cold plunging and journaling and a lot of mental health stuff and just kind of getting myself to a calm state. That for me was kind of what I felt was more necessary. And then I would hit balls and stuff and get ready. But once you're at Derby, you know, you need you need to really start locking in. So after I beat Wolford, I, I, I finally got to that place where I was really clicking. 
And then with Josh, I felt like I had three, you know, phases of approach in that in that particular match. You know, I started the match and I didn't really have time to really, you know, assess what was going on. I got moved from a previous match to the match with Josh. And um, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I'm just I'm I deserve to be here, you know. Uh we're gonna take our opportunities as we can when they come and just kind of know that you belong on this table and, and just, you know. Uh, try and be present and I think the, the biggest thing was just trying to be present and not get too far ahead of myself and not really put too much extraneous pressure on myself to do anything that I haven't already been doing which has just been playing really really great pool um, it's interesting to me though because I mean as you're saying that that's an awful lot to process while you're playing a match yeah. against the number one player in the world so for me, I'm thinking it all sounds logical. It all sounds, you know, um, right, proper. Uh, but if I have to think through all that while I'm trying to play a match uh, yeah. against a Josh Filler, I don't know that my head wouldn't explode. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so how does how does it is it something that just you know is it is it that thought process where things just you know go so fast in your mind that it, that that you're not even actually thinking about it, but you know what's happening. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where like, you know, especially playing somebody like Josh, you get so few opportunities really. Right. And, and the beginning of the match, we exchanged racks and uh, it was a two, two, and he had made two early misses that I think just his style of play. He wants to, he wants to just get going, going, going and running. And he really wants to beat you. You know, he wants to beat you fast. He wants to really demoralize you. And when I saw the first two early misses, I'm like, you know, I've won matches with less opportunities than that already. And so the mindset kind of shifted from, hey, you're here, you deserve to be here to, you might be the better player for this stretch of games. Uh, you know, right. I'm not saying that I'm the best player uh, in, in the matchup long-term, but I'm, I know for this stretch of, of match play, the standard that I've been putting out is really high. Uh, and so there's a confidence there that for these next 10 games, maybe I am the better player. And so then I kind of impose, then it switched into, okay, let's impose yourself on this match and keep your, your errors to a minimum. And I took control of the middle of the match and got ahead seven, five and put myself in a position where I was running out up seven, five, you know, it's a race to nine. And so I, I got to the point where I started thinking, well, I'm going to run out and then break and run out and beat Josh Filler nine, five. And normally, whenever that happens, I'm really great about getting that thought and then coming back to like back I gotta, to reality. Yeah. I got to make this ball. Right. Yeah. And that's the one crucial mistake that I would point to in that set that I, I didn't do. I kind of stayed in that spot. And then what happens after? And I, I missed a key ball that I should never miss. And it should have cost me maybe the set uh, because against somebody like Josh, that's the that's. Well, that's water. turning point. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah. So he, he doesn't need very much. So I, I, I know how these matches go because I've seen him do it enough times to other players that I thought, okay, well, I might get one more opportunity from here. Um, and it came when I was down 8-7. And he leaked the safety and left me a piece of the two ball that um, basically I could only see the piece of the ball that would allow me to pocket it. And, um, and, and, get position uh to run out and so it was a tough back cut it was a quarter ball. balls reference it that i've i've worked on quite a bit 
and I had to double check that, you know, through that hit, I was clear of the ball he was trying to hide right. me from. And literally the only amount of the ball that I could see was, was that. And I just what you needed. Yeah. Yeah. And got out. So yeah. that was, uh, that was to force Hill Hill. And then I got, a, uh, finally got one little, you know, fortunate roll towards the end there. But, uh, you know, I was making a lot of winning decisions, you know, and not getting rewarded. So I feel like I had developed a little escrow in the, in the account with the pool gods and, uh, they smiled on me. And then, you know, Josh was in a very awkward position, uh, double hill looking at an eight ball that he, that he could see but couldn't pocket directly and uh, I think he just he just made a mental error and uh, took a losing decision um, from there trying to play off the left side of the eight and left me a shot and I you know got there so so it, uh, go ahead Nate I don't know if there's anything well I was, uh, the only thing that I really want to throw in is uh, in a match that that's mentally grinding um, you know you're, you're constantly over and over and over again forcing yourself to try to make winning decisions. That's, that's pretty mentally draining, right? How take me through your mindset when he actually gave you the nine ball, was it a relief? Did, uh, did everything just kind of come down from there? I mean, I, I mean, there was a, um, you know, I think we both knew that the match was over at that point. Right. Um, he had left a, a duck of a nine and I, I played, I played position to a big part of the table where I was, you know, safe away from the rails and, and kind of straight in. And so, it wasn't until after he kind of shook my hand and kind of like, you know, conceded that I had this like huge emotional pop off, which I, I before that, you know, during the match when I had taken control, I thought to myself, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to like allow my emotions to get high because, you know, I had switched into the mindset now of like, let's impose ourselves and then let's go. Back. Let, then, then I imposed myself and saying, then let's go win the match, you know. And so I thought I'm going to win the match, shake his hand and move on. But that was before I missed that seven ball, you know, and then when I missed yeah. the seven ball, it kind of like stacked a lot of pressure. And really, it was just me trying to be in the moment and breathe. You know, breathing was a big part of, of just the physical process of anchoring myself to the moment over and over again through the breath. And then once I got past the moment and realized that I had won, then there was this huge like release and there was a lot of people in in the room you know watching and i guess rooting for me because nobody else had really beaten josh this weekend you know it's like yeah right anything, he, was on a, he was on a tour de force uh, you know just just crushing everybody yeah he, and, he he didn't lose at all in bank pool right and then he ended up losing twice in the one pocket obviously but third places <laughs> and he was undefeated obviously in the uh the nine ball up to that point so yeah he had basically lost one or two matches and his yeah. least and his least strong discipline yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's the discipline where you expect him to be the most dominant, really. And um, but to me, it was just kind of this great moment because I was the last American left in the tournament, and it felt like I had a lot of support from people. When I, I really, I tried to keep my brain so focused on on just the table surface. I didn't look around at all. Just kind of like really tried to be present and in the moment. That when I came out and I I saw the magnitude of how many people were around me and kind of cheering for me it was. It was quite a bit, you know. It was a yeah. lot. It was a lot of things to process at once. But. Yeah, well, I, th I think yeah. I think Danny and BJ were still in at that time, at least. Yeah, and Chris think, Reinhold too, maybe. I, I think they. I think Chris got eliminated round nine, uh, maybe. So I think that put me into the last round as the last American, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you you tied you tied with Danny Olson and BJ Ushery at twelve. Oh, great, yeah. great, great, great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 Did, but what, yeah, did, I mean, you, did Josh say anything to you at the end of the match other than just shake your hand? 
No, he he kind of the shot that he missed. <laughs> yeah, he shook my hand. I think he was more upset at the fact with the decision he made than anything else because he knew that was an opportunity to to try and win the match, and he, he made the wrong choice. I think when he set up the kick, I, you know, I think we both acknowledged that the kick was the only winning shot from that position. And even though it's 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 a counterintuitive thing to you know you can see the ball, you want to hit the ball direct, but uh, you can't win doing anything else than kicking at the eight. Uh, yeah. Direct that position so i think he was more upset at himself than anything else for choosing the wrong shot but yeah, yeah. i he was very gracious to me before the match and he never you know made me feel that he was contentious in any way towards me so that was yeah, he was no, he's, yeah. so he's yeah a good competitor better mm -hmm. so the follow-up to that is it's not the end of the tournament you've right. got to play again and you know you're at a probably an emotional high for any tournament that you've probably ever played in. Mm -hmm. How do you just, how do you take your cue then and go to the next, to the next table and not be completely yeah. like. Checked out. Yeah. Um, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the big, that was probably the most challenging part of it honestly, was, was, you know, getting, I, I, I would say, not being satisfied with that being enough, you know what I mean? And, you know, I played Roland Garcia next and I, I'd beaten him last year in Michigan um, at a Predator event. And so I felt fine. I, I didn't really feel any pressure at all playing Roland, you know, and I felt like I was the better player in that match. Although the challenge for me was tr constantly, I mean, constantly wrangling my brain back into the moment because it kept right. one of the... Go back go, to the last match. <laughs> yeah, go to this, oh, you beat Josh, this whole thing. I had a phone call, a brief video phone call right after the match. And, you know, that was an emotional thing. And I almost, you know, started crying right there. So I had to like, hey, I got to hang up the phone. I got to I gotta get back to, yeah. to business here. And I took an early break with Roland because there were two shots in that match that I took without intensity, without like focus and and like – intent to try and win the position and i gave away two two games uh because of them and then you know the match was probably closer than it needed to be by the end of the match i'd kind of locked in again and i was i was up eight seven and breaking against roland and i broke dry and then he had a cupcake out and he ran out and then he broke uh double hill and really wobbled the ball in he kind of like was fortunate that the pocket was four and a half inches because it probably shouldn't have gone but he ended up breaking and running out double hill to beat me. Um, but I, I know, you know, compared to how I've been playing the whole tournament, there was a little bit of a lack of intensity in that yeah. match for me that mentally I, I can reflect on. And I know that it comes from a little bit of a, a lack of a professional mindset about, you know, it, it, it's an interesting thing, right? Where playing Josh, the whole focus becomes how do you how do you win this one match, you know, and then you win that match. But now you're in the context of a, of a broader tournament where if you just stay playing that way, you can win the tournament. Right. But I wasn't mentally ready for that part of it right. after I was so all in on trying to beat Josh that afterwards I was kind of like, well, whatever happens from here happens and whatever happened from there happened. You know, I didn't really impose myself the same way. So. I still played at a high standard. You know, I, I was up eight, seven and breaking. If I make a ball on 
on the break, I likely win that match and, and it, you know, I can settle myself, you know? So I, yeah. I felt like if I ever needed a corner man or somebody there just to kind of, to be like encouraging, help me get across that line, it was then, and then I could help, you know, regroup and see how deep I could really go. So, yeah. So it's, it's a lot of, um, you know, crossing the, certain lines for the first time or getting yeah. to certain spots for the first time. And it's always that learning experience of, okay, now that, now, now that I have done this and I've been here, I'll know how to handle this better next time or that better next time or the following match the next time. Um, is that, you know, kind of the way you try to look at it? Yeah. I think now, like I, I mentioned on dogging it, uh, last, last night that, you know, um, I feel like now I, I, I've beaten, you know, the top player in the world. Um, I've kind of given myself permission now to say, Hey, we can put this together for, for a tournament and it's time to go after and win and win a whole open tournament, you know, a big pro event. So I think definitely this is like a landmark thing that I can kind of pitch my, yeah. my, my, my tent on and, and, you know, have the confidence that I can beat anyone. That that comes into the you know the whole process that you're talking about too of now that you know beating Josh Filler is great but beating a Josh Filler like player three or four matches in a row right. becomes a whole different challenge yeah mentally emotionally physically right yeah yeah and I I got a a, a somewhat of a sense of that really. Um, you know, I beat Wolford, you know, uh, 9-6 in round three. And then I, I beat uh, I beat some other guy. Some poor, I played a perfect set that they said after that. I beat a guy 9-1. Um, and then I played Lucas, and I, I continued a really high form there. And I, I beat Lucas 9-4. Uh, so I was really kind of like in a place where I'd hit almost this meditative, you know, posture where I was just really focused on the moment and just kind of staying in my process and executing nicely. and. Mm -hmm not really worrying about anything else. I think for me, I, I've been searching for the feeling I had when I was dominant in collegiate nationals, where I was the apex player there and I was winning multiple national titles. I won three collegiate nationals and US amateurs. Right. And when I was back then, I, I didn't ever really care who I played. You know, I, I just didn't invest any resources in that at all. And I, I, you know, for me back then, being in that place was what was conducive to me playing my best. Yeah. The challenge of coming back into competitive play and playing against the best players in the world is that you know who everybody is, you know what I mean? And so it's you have to kind of go through the iterative process a little bit and get comfortable with that idea now being at the forefront where you know who everybody is, you know what they're capable of, and crossing that mental threshold where you can just let that go and get back to playing just for yourself, who you are, being yourself maximally represented in your game in that arena that's where I find peace. And that's where I find like the place where I can be the most authentic version of myself. Yeah. And then at that point, then I can get to the best parts of my game. And so I found that a little bit now at Derby and that was kind of probably the yeah, breakthrough moment. Yeah. So is it, is it, you know, in sports, you, you see guys who go from the collegiate level to the pro level or whatever. And they always talk about, um, you know, in, in action sports, like football, whatever they talk about the speed of the game and, and how it catches you off guard and you, know, you have to find a way to slow things down. Mm -hmm. um, is that applicable to uh, getting into a pool tournament and playing top players match after match? 
Yeah, I, I, I would say, especially with certain players who are very tempo driven, right? Like Josh is a, is a, is a Formula One race car, you know, he wants to just fly, you know, and if I like that gets control and gets the tempo going, then he's going to blow anybody out of the water. That's just how he wins. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a force and that's in that regard. For me, I'm more of like a, a methodical, like in the, in, the, in the vein of like a Buddy Hall, you know, who wants to control himself and his process. And, and that's a great matchup, actually, against somebody who's very tempo-driven. Because when a Buddy Hall gets control, you know, Earl's got to sit in his chair and stew and, you know, like, he can't, he can't wait to get out of his chair fast enough. And usually right. when they get out of the chair fast enough, they, they rush yeah. and they tend to be prone to error. Yeah, and so I've always liked playing fast players like Josh because, you know, I know that if I get control and I, if I'm calm and doing my thing, then then I can just – like I had a match with uh, Jeffrey Ignacio a few years ago at the U.S. Open, and he was the first player that I brushed up against that was an 800-level player who played so fast that it, it, it was, like, affecting me. Like I felt, like, that desire to want to run and try and catch up, and he was affecting me. And I had to mantra myself during the match and say, you know, my table, my pace, my table, my pace, my table, my pace. And then once that you say that enough times, you get into your rhythm, then you forget about anything else and you just play again. You have to you have to have a lot of self-assurance when you play that way, because a lot of players will view more methodical players as being, you know, not as good as or because they don't play off the seat of their pants, you know. Like uh, like a Josh does, you know, and they they it's fun to watch somebody like him play. You have to be self assured enough to say none of that matters because my job is to play my best and to do what supports that for me. And so if that's a little bit more methodical, and then maybe that opens up into a gear where you get into a gear and you hit a high rhythm yeah. patch, you know what I mean? And you can definitely play in that space. But I know what it costs now against the best player in the world to make one error yeah. it could cost you the set, you know? So I'm not, I'm not eager to make a mistake <laughs> against, you know, to do something, to rush into missing yeah. ball against yeah. the best player in the world, you know? Nate? Yeah. Uh, I guess uh, my question, um, obviously you went just for the, the nine ball, right? You didn't play the one pocket and the banks. If there's one yeah. knock on Derby City Classic this year, yeah. it's that it's it's just too much pool for – the duration of the event. I mean, you shouldn't be playing till 9 a.m. the next day to finish up an yeah. event. You shouldn't be playing till fall, you know, 5 a.m. in the morning to get up again at 7 a.m. to play another match, right? It's just it, there's just too much pool. Do you think that the, do you think that it was an advantage for you coming in uh fresh for the nine ball? Uh do you think that was harder for you to like get that level of focus that you know everybody else has been training already basically for a week at this point? Uh I, I guess what's the pros and what's the what's the pros and cons of coming into an event that's uh on event number three already yeah yeah i mean obviously those guys are dialed in on the conditions and you can't really account you know they're going to have an advantage when it comes to playing you know multiple disciplines by the time you get to the nine ball everybody's in full punch you know they're they're really playing out of their mind uh pool so it's a disadvantage for somebody coming in in the nine ball because you're going to get the best game you know from everyone but the good thing about the schedule is that it gives you no choice. Like you, ha- you, you're gonna play another match. You're gonna play another. Like you better be ready. You know what I mean. And so it kind of forces you to get ready or get eliminated. You know, so the the uptick is very quick. I know for me, 
my priority going in was rest because I, I didn't sleep well the night before I traveled. I only got like five hours of sleep and then traveling over there, I developed like a congestion and, you know, stuff right away, like right flu. away. So I don't know what it was, but it, it definitely got me. And But I had a Thursday where I didn't get scheduled. I was TBD and then they just pushed me to a following day. So I had a full day off. So I got some practice time in at the venue just to feel acclimated and get and get some stuff in after my, my, my first match. Um, and then um, and then it was just go straight to bed, you know, and take medicine and hydrate and rest and do all the things that I could do for me to get myself ready. Because I know, you know, the rest is going to be at a premium when it comes yeah. to the, the zombie day, you know, the, the 24 yeah. hour walk through the graveyard, you know, it's basically what everybody's doing. But. It is, it is really brutal. I mean, you'll see all the players talk about Recovering, how they're still, yeah, yeah. you know, deal. Yeah, it's not fun. It is, you know, I am somebody who prioritizes sleep and rest and all those things for myself. And, you know, just one day of that, you know, uh, one super zombie day like that, it's like it take, it really takes a toll on you. I can't imagine what guys like Federer and, and you know, Josh and all those guys who made deep runs, like <laughs> you can't get enough sleep, you know, it really really throws you off and it's not it's not fair to them you know it's kind yeah. of gross now, now i see why uh, do, performance enhancing drugs were always uh used so much at this event <laughs> in the past i yeah i guess i mean i'm, I'm never going to do that For myself you know i you know, electrolytes yeah, right. and protein bars and and exogenous ketones and stuff and like magic that mind. to try and give myself you know and then i yeah, I could, I could have used a little bit more of that for sure. Did you ever get the magic binds I sent you? Oh, I did. Thank you. Yeah, I tried them. They're 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 great. Yeah, they're really great. There you so go. Well, maybe maybe this. Go ahead. I have, I have a photo. I have a photo that I took. I, I meant I meant I meant to post, but I was busy. <laughs> not a big deal, right? It's just you know, not a big deal. Josh, who? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I will say that the the reaction has been really overwhelming and I've gotten a lot of really like beautiful messages from people who have found inspiration or motivation or, you know, just having seen that, that, that is a, a possibility, you know? And so it's really humbling. And I just want to say thanks to everybody who's kind of, yeah, it's cool to see it. So, yeah. People that. love, you know, people love stories like that. And, uh, um, you know, I mean, the way that Josh... on top of it. So it makes it a good, makes it a good narrative. The way that Josh kind of gets into his like yeah. little gear, you kind of do forget that he is beatable. I mean, even even amongst his peers, I mean, we're talking like Jason and Shane and Fedor and FSR and players like that. I mean, he can yeah. still. I mean, he's one of the few players that he has a gear where it doesn't matter how good you are, you you still can't beat him. And you kind of you kind of forget that he, he can be beat I, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I think you know in sports especially like it's easy to get habitualized to the norm and josh is somebody who's done a great job of establishing the norm that he's dominant and we, when somebody goes on a run where they start doing that and other players fail to beat that person it almost becomes right. like a self-fulfilling prophecy where they carry the baggage of you know he's lost you know he's beat me four times or five times or whatever and they almost kind of like expect it to happen I have the benefit of, you know, this was the first time Josh and I had played and, you know, I've seen him go through and beat friends of mine who are world-class players, Double Hill, the last few years, like he beat, he beat Oscar at the International, he beat Tyler at the US Open, Double Hill, you know, he's beaten Darren in, in spots where Seven Darren two. had him by, you know, 
you know, he just kind of, yeah, he worms out, he worms out and he worms out. And, you know, to, to be the one that kind of gets across the line against somebody like that is, is, is awesome, you know, because it confirms and validates, you know, what my mission is and what my approach is and that, you know, it, you know, you don't play pool on paper, you know, it's a, uh, it's nice to have averages and statisticians, but the outliers are there for a reason. And I think I was less than a 2% chance to win that match because of the, the Fargo disparity. But, you know, none of that really matters at the end of the day. If you have control, nobody can beat anybody that's in the chair, you know, like you can't yeah. beat somebody from the chair. So my job is to just execute and do what I do best and let the outcomes take care of themselves and to not like, you know, not get into the external stuff. You know, the external stuff is where you trap yourself. That's where I almost lost the match, you know, letting myself fall victim to the, oh, you know, I'm going to beat Josh nine to five and all this other stuff. And people are going to build a statue outside of the stadium. You know what I mean? Like yeah. stupid stuff that just doesn't, doesn't make the seven ball run out, break, run out and do your job. You know, that's really it, you know? So it's, it's hard to do that. You know, Mike, to your point, it's, there's so many traps that you can fall for uh, mentally that it takes a lot of, you know, just mental preparation and strength to kind of ignore the clutter, ignore the noise. And of course, you know, I, somebody tells me afterwards, Oh, by the way, em em Emily Fraser's watching, you know, you know, all these people from Matchroom are watching. I have no clue. Cause I'm not, yeah. I'm locked so does in. This, you know? Does this change? Uh, you know, did you find yourself thinking further ahead than you had before? Derby in terms of your potential, your commitment, your expectations going forward for like, let's say the rest of this year or into next year, anything like that? Or do you have a pretty specific plan? No, I, I, I would say this is the uh, year three of my five year plan, you know, and I've, I know what I'm capable of and I know, and I've seen flashes of what that capability is. And now, uh, you know, a larger group of people has seen uh, what that capability is. I think there's a lot of room for improvement for me. I could have played a better set against Josh. And, um, but now I'm in the process of normalizing that, that feeling, you know, of what it's like to be in those kind of higher pressure moments against those players. And that's really what I want. So, you know, my goal is just to kind of get back to work on, on my training continue to review i'm trying to get a hold of the copy of that match um from zach goldsmith i know he hit it's the way they ran the tournament makes it harder for like the digital pool right. direct access to that file so I'm, I'm desperate to try and get a hold of that match and a couple others and just kind of do what i normally do which is you know i'll break down the match to see where the errors were why because i know i know where they are and i know why and then just familiarize myself with, okay, there was a subconscious reason why I shied away from something or I went in a certain direction. What's what's the reason for that? You know, why was I uncomfortable with that decision and did this? And then work on that thing that's uncomfortable so that it's just a familiar friend. It's just another part of my game that's, you know, coming into fruition and continuing to develop and, and to be refined so that the next time I'm more prepared and ready, you know, to be able to beat Josh and then be able to beat him. Because really, you know, Josh, especially at that event, he's a, he's setting the standard for what's possible, right? I mean, he won three. I, yes, I beat him in the nine ball. Uh, I know Justin Hall maybe beat him in a, in, in a set in the banks. Uh, and then, you know, um, Shane beat him in the one pocket. But, you know, it's not just about beating him one time. you got to be able to beat him twice in every discipline. That's, that's just the mindset that you have to have if you're going to go there to not just beat him, right but go win the tournament. So 
I think about, you know, could this, could this opportunity that happened to me, how could it have been better? Well, it could have been better if I would have gone deeper in the tournament and drawn him again and beat him again. Like that would have been something. Well, then like, you're Alex Pagulian. You know, that would have been like hit. Alex, Alex Pagulian's like the only right. guy that and, can beat Josh these days. <laughs> well, it's funny because I I admire Josh uh, Alex's approach, and that's a lot of like, you know, the approach that I have really, which is like beat him and beat him in the in between stuff, not the, not just to outshoot him, you know, not just to out break and run thing, but in those little situations where you can gain control and and make him pay for an error. You know, that's the stuff where you really gain yardage, you know, and gain gain control with a guy so like him. So. You're a professional, not a professional pool player, you know, a working stiff professional. Um, yeah. You know, I guess part of this probably goes into the, the next two years of your five-year plan. But, you know, what does that entail in terms of, um, you know, dedication to the game, devotion to practice, uh, expectations, things like that, and that balance, um, you know, because now your your expectations are you're going to be in there swinging against guys who, you know, play seven days a week, 10 yeah. hours a, a day, and have everything at their disposal. Yeah. Yeah. I have to be better than them. I have to be better. That's the challenge for me. I, I don't get to play this game on easy mode. I get to play it on expert, super hard mode, which means I get less time, less resources, less ability, which means that the quality of the focus and time that goes into my table time and goes into my training has to be Is that an above advantage? elite level. I, 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 don't, it, I think so. I think I'll be more prepared than they will because they have the luxury of immersion, which is a, a beautiful thing. And a lot of people think it's kind of easy, you know, but I'm playing the game on expert mode and there's nobody that thinks that I can I can climb the mountain. But you know, I mentioned this on Dogonet and I wanted to reiterate it here that, you know, the I'm here to climb the mountains that they say that you can't climb. Because that's just the kind of person that I am. If there's a mountain they say you can't get to, you can't climb, you can't achieve, there's a lot of people uh, in our chat even, in our in our in our circle of friends who are very comfortable and casual with telling you right. what your limitations are and what your seals are and what you're capable of without any knowledge of who you are as a person. They have no clue what you're, what's in your heart. They have no clue what's in your mind. They have no clue how much it means to you, but they're very comfortable with telling you what your limitations are. So for people who are watching and see a moment like this, you know, I would hope that you realize that those limitations are an illusion and they're only real if you accept them. So my job is to continue to focus on being the maximum version of myself that I can be and continue to take opportunities where I get a chance to compete against the best players of the world of you know in the world and you know hopefully you know express the fullness of what I see inside of myself and what other people see in me. Um, and and win these tournaments, you know. That's really that's really what Raymond Lenares free so. solo pool. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so, I'm out there yeah. unhinged on, yeah, yeah, on no, the no, no, so, Good, Nate. So, well, I was going to say, Mike, are are you still good to go, or do you? Need yeah, to yeah, I'm guy. You got to come one minute to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so you mentioned your five year plan. You're on year three of your five year plan. What what do the next two years entail for you? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I have a limited amount of time that I can apply vacation time to for this work, you know, to be able to go and compete. So, uh, you know, I'm going to prioritize the U.S. Open, obviously, as, as an American player. That's like uh, the crown jewel for us and ranking points, you know. So I'm going to be pretty much fully invested on the resources that I have available to me to go compete at matchroom ranking events and continue to accumulate points. So I, I earn 1,400 points, you know, at this event. And, um, you know, it's a great start to the year, you know. So I'm going to be going to um, the Amazing Billiards event in Boston. I'm going to go to um, uh, the event Chris Lieburn, Christopher Lee Wilburn is, is hosting in Virginia. Obviously, I'll go to the U.S. Open and continue to try and, and make, make dents and make waves and, and earn enough points to make the whole conversation about Moscone as interesting as possible. You know, my, my, my end goal is to be, you know, be on the Moscone Cup team. That's something that's, it was the, uh, you know, I remember in 2002 or 2001, I watched a shot where Corey uh, played that incredible jacked <laughs> yeah. up draw shot off the bat. I was just like, what, like, how do you do that? You know? And so I, I want to do that. And then, you know, I've been a big fan ever since. I have a lot of respect for the, the American guys and I've watched them kind of live out the dream. And, you know, life for me took me in a different direction at the point where I was starting to creep, you know, creep up and really start playing world-class pool. And I had to step away for, you know, six, seven years, you know, and then now I'm on the way back and it's been a really humbling and painful experience for me to go through emotionally some setbacks in life and, you know, have to sit back and swallow the the pill of not not being available when opportunities came up for me and watch it watch those opportunities go to other players and you know in in a way that really prepared me and kind of made me stronger you know mentally it kind of restructured and reprioritized pool in my life in a way that you know yes it's important it's something that I, I really want to do but you know my family's important and you know life and work are are important. And until pool can provide a quality of life for me that supports my daughter, then, you know, I made the right decision in making the sacrifices that I made that I had yeah. to put down the thing that I loved. And then now it, it makes everything that much more, you know. Yeah, right. Satisfying uh, for sure. Satisfying. How old are you, Ray? 36. 36? I have one question for Mike quick. Uh has it ever happened where uh, you, you being the historian you are, has there ever been a person with a full-time job that played on a Moscone Cup team, either side? John DeToro, 96. But there was a player strike. Well, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, the, top, time. The, the PBT players were not playing in, yep. in it at all. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually, I didn't know that John DeToro was, worked full-time. I thought that he was kind of a part-time guy, but, yeah. um, but yeah, so it's, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, doesn't happen often. Um, but you know, there's no reason that it can't. Um, Is that your so. motivation, right? You'd be the first working skip out there, uh, running racks. <laughs> I was just going to say, you'd be the first guy to my, show up to Moscone with cup with a, with a, a note from your teacher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. so. That's the plan. The good thing is, good thing is, my my boss knows about. So, do you take this anyway. same very cerebral analytical approach to your job? Um, yeah, I think I think um, you know I, I do video production, and so I'm an Emmy award winning, and I'm an Emmy award winning filmmaker, and I have an AFI award for some documentary work, and you know a lot of that, especially early on in film school, 
I was doing a lot of self-teaching because I would look at who the best people were in the industry and figure out what they did to make themselves unique and stand out. And, you know, so there was a lot of actually me and my group of filmmaking friends, like we were the ones that influenced a lot of the curriculum that ended up going down the line and uh, changing because of some of our impacts. So, you know, I, I take a little bit of a blend of like analytical and just creative uh, intuition when it comes to um, filmmaking. Um, and, you know, I have smart people behind me that I've worked on stuff with that I trust and we've kind of collaborated a lot yeah. on a lot of cool projects. So I have a lot of technical information and knowledge for sure, you know, when it comes to the crafting side of the imaging process. And then I just try and apply that technical information in creative and, and fun novel ways. And there's definitely overlap in that approach in playing pool. Yeah. yeah. Create a documentary of your last two years. <laughs> Seems like a fun way to do it. Mike, are you there? Yes. So. Yeah, you, you're uh, your video is just going out a little bit on us, Ray, but yeah, it's still, sorry, good. still good. That's right. It's good. Cool. That's right. Now you're. That's good. So I mean, I guess yeah, those are the questions I had for Ray. Uh, I guess Mike, do you have anything else that you uh, wanted to talk to him about about the the Derby side? Uh, not about the Derby. Well, I mean, you know. Not, I guess, not really about the Derby side. Just again, I, I, I'm more interested in the uh, the thought process and the mindset, um, you know, of what you know someone goes through when they're when they're in a situation like you were in, because uh, everybody's got to go through it for the first time, yeah. and and that's that's always kind of um, uh, fascinated me because you see someone like Josh get to the point where it's, you know, these situations are so commonplace for him yeah. that um, doesn't make the game any easier and it doesn't make winning any easier, uh, but just knowing how to handle every situation and, not, and, and being to a point where virtually no situation is going to overwhelm you ever again. Right. Um, that's a, that's a, the, the process to get there to me is, is really interesting. Yeah, and, and Josh is such a ter terrific player, you know, like a, he's in the competition cycle at that level so high so often that, you know, it's it's very rare that he finds a situation that's uncomfortable for him. Right. So for me, you know, when I whenever I'm competing against guys like that, I try and find opportunities where, you know, I can put them in, a, un, in situations that are a little bit abnormal, you know. And, uh, you know, that's usually where, you know, you can you can squeeze innings out and really you just right. want to get the extra one or two innings you know that's really all you need uh it, as long as you're doing your job and executing and running out so there obviously there's a lot of groundwork that goes in like you have to be able to run out open tables when they come to you you have to be able to go through your process have good mechanics all those things are like foundational they're like must-haves then it's where can i squeeze out the extra advantage you know and, so, uh, you know people talk a lot about you know when you're learning, when you're coming up, whatever, watching other players and watching what they do and watching how they handle certain situations and learning from them. Um, is that something that you do and can you do it or do you do it at all during a match or is this something you would have to do as a railbird because your process is different during a match? Um, I used to, I used to be like, I used to watch a lot of matches growing up to get, like I absorbed a lot of AccuStats, a lot of, you know, yeah. match play, to get a, a feeling for what the vernacular is, you know what I mean? And then 
after a certain amount of time, it became less that. Like I watch much less pool now, and I'm really worried. Well, you know, focused on kind of some of the the system information that I'm kind of in. I'm working with an unpublished system from my sensei that, you know, just deals with pool in a different way. And so there's been a kind of a a very hearty uptake, um, you know, of like integration. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. blending math information with with my, you know, 15 years prior of, of, you know, intuition and kind of like, how do I, how do I put those two things together? And that's been a painful, difficult process, but I'm at this point now where I'm able to, you know, I've found myself in that and I, and I can blend those two things together. And now I feel like I have advantages in certain scenarios that the other guys just don't have because they don't have a model to express some of the things that I'm able to do with, um, in a in, in a in a concise non voodoo way you know there's a lot of vagary yeah. in how they describe patterns and positions and where the cue ball is going so for me i have certainty on where the cue ball is going in 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 a lot of scenarios and you know that's reassuring you know um like that two ball that josh left me i knew where that ball was going to end up and i knew exactly the ball hit that i was going to take and i knew how much throw was going to apply to the ball and all that stuff, you know, so that's stuff that in high pressure situations, I felt no pressure in that moment, you know, right. that was a very reassuring kind of thing. So now I'm just kind of in this integration process of refining and I have a plan of things that I'm going to work on and continue to make stronger and hopefully develop so that it's more fleshed out, you know, as I go in deeper runs and bigger tournaments. So, yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. I've enjoyed uh, hearing about it. It's, it's uh... It was fun to watch and fun to follow all the commentary afterwards and whatever. So, yeah, um, I got to duck out. But, um, yeah, congratulations to you and thanks for all the insight. It's been it's been interesting and uh, we'll look forward to uh, following the rest of the journey. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. I was glad you got to join today. So, yeah, absolutely. All right, Nate, thank you. Yeah, always. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Well, Ray, I guess. So two years ago, the. uh, the kind of everyone's darling was uh, Greg Hogan. He was kind of like the uh, the Moscone Cup underdog. And last year it was BJ Ushery. Do you think that you could take that mantle up this year? Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, the Moscone Cup is something I want, obviously, as, as an American. It's like, you know, the top of the, the ladder for, for any of us. So my, my job is just to keep working on myself and improving and, and putting myself in these positions to prove what I can do against guys like Josh. Obviously, you know, saying that you have a winning record against Josh Filler is, is is a great feather in the cap as an American, and I'm not sure many others can can really say that. Um, you know, waking up today, so you know, uh, I can only focus on myself and focus on how I respond in these opportunities, and hopefully get more of those opportunities. I've got other players on Team Europe that I got to beat. You know what I mean? Just to continue to 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 share that but you know i've had a lot of big wins you know the last couple of years i beat jose alberto delgado last year you know nine five at the at the uh the amazing billiards tournament you know i've had big wins against you know top filipinos and 800 players and so hopefully this just continues to trend in the right direction for me and and i keep improving so sure yeah. well we're at that point of the podcast where i got to give some shout outs to our uh, sponsors so uh you said you did get some magic mind. What'd you think of it? I thought the magic mind stuff was pretty good. I, I, you know, obviously don't have enough of it to like have like a longer kind of form 
taste sample of it, but I do like those kind of products. Like I have some stuff that I take uh, on my just daily nu nutrition stuff that is is along those same lines. Um, and then you know, but but before we we kind of close up, I did want to just say thank you to my to my cue maker. You know, Dominic Aragi built me my my custom cue set, and I use those to to play at Derby and to go as deep as I did, and and you know, beat Josh. Um, you know, the cue that I have, I, I call it Excalibur. And, uh, you know, it's it's been a wonderful cue, the best cue I've ever owned. So it's been uh, great to kind of see it get attention and and um, and hold up for me. So, yeah, that's awesome. Well, Ray and I trust Magic Mind and you can, too. Whenever you need that little bit of extra focus, Magic Mind has got your back. It has all of the nutrients and all of the different uh, ingredients that help you with your, not only your focus, but uh, your focus over time, because obviously it doesn't do you any good to focus two to three minutes at a time. It helps you if you can focus two to three hours at a time, which helps. So that's fun. During January, which I guess is over now, but uh, they had a, I think you can still probably get this. Just go to magicmind.com forward slash Jan, queue it up and put in code queue it up 20 and get yourself your subscription to Magic Mind for 75% off and wow. join the focus train that we get, which is awesome. I like it. It's fun stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, I guess, Ray, I don't know. Do you need to, uh, do you need to get going? You want to wrap it up here? I mean, we haven't really discussed too much about the Derby besides your, your, uh, your venture at it, but yeah, I have about 20 minutes. So if, if, you know, you want to add anything else or you have any questions, I can totally take those, but you know. Sure. Well, I, I mean, I guess obviously we're, we're talking about Josh Filler just as much, almost just as much as we're talking about you because of his domination at the event. Sure. Uh, being on site, did, did anybody else kind of stand out to you that uh, you thought needs to get highlighted? Yeah. You know, uh, Johnny Mora had a, had a pretty amazing tournament and he probably played the best pool against me of anybody, uh, in the event. Um, you know, he, we played a set, I think it was around five or six or seven around in that area, um, where he didn't miss a ball against me and, but he did break dry three, three times and broke his scratch once. But I broke and scratched three times. I was the most unproductive on my break, and that's kind of why I think I lost that match. But Johnny played a tremendous match and then marched his way, you know, through the zombie graveyard all the way to third place. So he played unbelievable. Uh, Vitali played really solid, you know, the whole tournament. I don't think he's got enough attention and flowers for how good he, he played. But, you know, the guy really held up and held his demeanor. He's so, he's so structured, you know, it, it – I think it was impressive to watch him play. Um, and then obviously Pegis, you know, Pegis was on a, on a Pegis mission. Pegis was just incredible, right? On a mission, just really, really came with some high level pool. And he's been, you know, he's been investing on his side a lot, you know, and been putting in the hours and gambling and, and getting matched up and doing all the things that he can do. And growing get, a beard. Yeah. I mean, the beard is the key, you know, you assert so, dominance. Yeah. Or somebody, well, somebody's, you know, somebody's with a heavy beard. It's tough. Yeah, game. that's what I'm working on. You know, I'm proud of you. I think, you know, putting yeah, I, I'm thinking if I if I let it grow out for about like uh, 17 more years, I'll be half of what you got there. Perfect. That's all you need. One step at a time. Yeah. So yeah, those, those <laughs> guys really, those guys really st stood out for me. Uh, you know, Johnny, Johnny, uh, tough player, 
and uh, really grinding. And the fact that he's playing as high of a level as he is left-handed is pretty special. We can't, you know, ever not say that enough. So, uh, but, yeah. Yeah, the knowledge never goes away. It's more or less uh, getting your body to do what it already knows how to do, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And he's really intense. He's an intense player, too. People don't yeah, he is. For that. You know, yeah, he really grinds hard. Uh, if you ever want a you ever want a story, uh, I mean, I know it's it's never a great idea to just walk up to players at uh, at events, but John has one of the most interesting stories I think I've ever heard from a pool player. The guy has yeah. been through the ringer more times than he can probably count, and the fact that he's where he is um, in his career it's it's a testament to not only his character but his his drive and his and he's his quite motivation. The, and, and and he's quite the handsome chap. We'll say that as well. You know. Okay. <laughs> he's a, he's a fun dude. He's, he's a good, he's a good guy to be around. Uh, yeah. And he ended up getting 12th in the one pocket too. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not like he's, I mean, it's not like he can't play one pocket, but you don't think of him as like a, as a one yeah. pocket. Um, I think, I think you got to give a shout out to Justin Hall as well. I mean, the guy's got, yeah. the, the guy's got so much talent. It's gross. I mean, uh, I mean, I look at him as being, I mean, and again, this, it always sounds disrespectful whenever I say it, but that's, that's what you, I mean, that's how much respect I have for his game. I think he's the biggest uh, wasted talent that the U.S. has. I mean, it's, it's sad yeah. as that is to say. Justin's best game is probably Banks in one pocket, you know. And um, he showed out and, you know, I think he beat he gave Filler his first loss in that tournament. And then Filler came back and beat him in the finals. And I didn't get to watch the finals, but I heard kind of he was up early and had a chance to to win. So, you know, it's tough, man. These world champions, you don't cut a, if you don't cut the head off the snake, it's you don't you don't get many other chances. You know, you give them extra innings. You can't really do that. So, and sometimes even if you do cut the head off the snake, two more come out in its spot. <laughs> yeah, and you better be ready to fight a hydra. You know, so yeah. It's tough. But yeah, cool. Uh, so I wanted to give a shout out to Justin Hall as well because I thought uh, his. I mean, it's just one of those players that you don't see him. He, he he pops up two three times a year, and you're like, oh yeah, kind of forgot about that guy. He's always at the end of a tournament that he plays in. So. That's awesome. I, don't know. I just wanted yep. to say thanks, thanks also to uh, Matt Yerville. He says that the whole match is on the Calcutta Kid YouTube channel. So I'm going to track that down because I've been trying to get a hold of it. I have I have the full match uh, where I beat Wolford and the match I beat uh, Lucas, but I don't have the, the filler match. So if he's got that, then I'll, I'll track it down. So thanks, Matt, for that. I really appreciate it. It was also nice to see, uh, speaking of uh, some a pretty good finish, it's probably uh, – I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to Danny Olson as well. Another yeah. kind of another kind of US player that kind of goes a little bit under the radar, only pops up every now and then, but dude's he's got a lot of talent. Very sal very solid looking guy. He's very professional look over yeah. the table and stuff. So yeah, it's great to see some new faces. I guess you said me and um Danny and and BJ were at, were all at the you know tail end for for the yeah. you know, American born players. So that's awesome. I know Feder went a few more rounds uh, before he kind of, you know, ran out of steam. So it's, um, yeah. Yeah. So 12th place, 12th place for the nine ball had you, Roberto Gomez, Danny Olson, and BJ Ushery. Pretty, cool. pretty incredible finish for uh, Danny. And then 16th yeah. had a, a handful of Americans um, Chris Reinhold, uh, Shane Wolford. I'm not sure who uh, Mark Estolia, Estol. Yeah, he's a Filipino player. Estiola? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah great, another one of those Filipinos. That, great, great player. Yeah, great player. And then yeah, Constantine Davladze. 
I'm not sure Never. on that either. Yeah. But he ended up in 16th place too. Cool. Oh, 16th place at, uh, well, yeah. Another, Lee Van Corteza, Conrad Mieszko, Jean Salim, Alex Montpellier. Great Mark player. S. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, really good players. Yeah. Couple, and then a couple more uh, Americans, Sergio Rivas in 25th, D. Atkins, Scott Frost, Max Eberle, Michael Yednek, uh, Kevin Guimond, Nathan Childress. I don't know who Kevin is, but Nathan Childress is a younger Kevin, player. I think he's – is he? Uh, Nathan is uh, from the New England area, right? Like Connecticut maybe? Virginia, Virginia. Is he? Okay. Yeah. Virginia. Another another great player. Yeah, great young player for sure coming yeah, up. Yeah. And he played good all around too. He played good in the banks in the one pocket too. So. Oh, yeah. I did see him towards the end, right? Uh, he had 12th in the one pocket and, uh, yeah, 23rd in the bank pool. So actually, Solid. So he, he probably got himself uh, some pretty good master of the table results. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. 22nd. I mean, that's strong. Strong for yeah, that's his age for sure. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Uh, what's your takeaways from the event? Uh, I know that there's a lot of there's a lot of negatives. There's a few positives, but mostly it's negatives coming out of the event because it's for the second year in a row. I mean, it's finishing probably yeah. 12 hours later than it should. What's your What's your overall takeaway of the event? Um, I don't like the cue ball they used. I think they should stick to the uh, you know Matro measle ball. Um, you know that just. Aramith black measle ball. They used a diamond ball and it really affected like the break quite a bit. People were just unable to get the one in the side and without having a stun hit the break. You know, you have to, it changes the break altogether. Um, so, you know, not ideal, I don't think, um, that that ball for, you know, a matchroom ranking event. So I'd love to see just a standardization of the cue ball across all the events so that there's not this like, you know, pick a cue ball, any cue ball, you know, let's play with, with the red yeah. circle tomorrow, blue circle, you know, it, it kind of shouldn't be that way, I don't think. Um, but, uh, you know, the the derby is the derby, like, uh, it's kind of like, you know, there's no illusions as to what you're going to get into, you know, right? Like everybody knows it's a, it's a gauntlet, it's, it's a grind, it's brutal. It's not, you know, it's not a fun thing to have to go through or recover from. So yeah, they need an extra day, or they're going to lose players. I think, um, as far as pros are concerned, but that's up to them if that matters. I'd love to see them use a different system to track the tournament, like a oh yeah, the, the system is like disgusting. It's it's awful. Yeah, it's on, yeah honestly, yeah. it's the worst. It's it's the worst thing in this industry. I, it, I and I don't say that lightly. I mean, it is literally awful. Yeah, I feel like I feel like a, a good uh, system through digital pool make make the matches trackable, linking with all the digital pool technology that's there, make everything kind of more seamless and probably get messages out quicker and people don't have to hover around forever to figure out when they play. So those would be the only, you know, constructive criticisms that I would have. You know, besides that, it's, you know, it's, it's a gathering of the best players in the world. So it's a celebration, really, of a multidisciplinary pool. Eventually, I'd love to play all the events, but, you know, I'm a working stiff, so I got to take care of my vacation time and I can get another yeah. two turns out of it, you know. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, if you play them all, you lose two two more events down the line probably. Yeah, exactly. So, and I, I can't afford to do that. So, yeah. So you ended up, uh, you ended up 12th place. Um, Sweet. Money-wise, money did you break even on the event? Did you make some money? What'd you do? Um, 
I probably made a little bit of money, but it's it's you know it's peanuts really compared to what you know you're putting out. I booked my travel there with points that I you know had from work and stuff, so that helps. And then I split an Airbnb with my good buddy Matt Katie from South Dakota, and it was Nayuki, myself, Demetrius was there. Um, I I saw Demetrius maybe once or twice the whole trip because he was just on the opposite side of the schedule. Poor guy was grinding yeah. so hard, so. I hope he's okay and recover because he got sick towards the end of the trip also. But, you know, yeah, he, he got was, sick at the U.S. Open last year too. Yeah, it's so tough, man. So, and then Nayuki Na, Na, Oi also had a really wonderful tournament. You know, he finished, I think, like top eight or something like that. He was, yep. Eight, he's eight. awesome. Yeah. So, congrats to Nayuki. Congrats to Johnny Mora and, and uh, Demetrius for surviving <laughs> that week. But we had a beautiful Airbnb. So, you know, we have a kitchen, so I, I didn't spend any really money on, on food and, you know, all, you know, I went grocery shopping one time and just cooked all my meals for myself for the day and protein bars and, you know, electrolytes and that kind of stuff. It's kind of like, I think the way to go. So, sure. yeah. Oh yeah. If you're going to grind that hard, it's, it's nice to actually put something in your stomach that isn't uh 48% fat it's and worth it. 52% grease. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean just, part of know, the part of the grind is just taking care of your body along the way, right? Yeah, that was a big priority for me is just getting my rest and and not really getting distracted in any of the action room stuff or anything like that. So, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. uh, congratulations, Ray. Thanks, I think we could probably cool. close it out here. Yeah, uh, it's it's a pretty impressive feat. Working on it, man. And on hopefully, to the next event, huh? Hopefully, more to come. Yeah, we'll see how it how it. What's all... your What's your next event on the calendar? Probably the next one will be the ranking event in uh, Boston at Amazing Billiards. That's uh, the one that I have on the calendar. March. Right. Yeah, exactly. March 12th, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll, uh, we'll give a shout out to Bo. I think we're going to bring him onto the podcast actually to talk about that event. So, yeah, he's great. Uh, Bo's awesome. Super nice guy. Yep. yep. So, uh, I guess we'll close it out there. But uh, first, let's give a shout out to the people that make this podcast possible. Uh, Jacoby Custom Cues, thank you so much for your continued ongoing support. Uh, Lippman Lights, uh, Michael Lippman does an amazing job of getting some of the best lights out there. For my money, I think it's the best all-around light that you can get as far as just uh, you know ease to use and uh, the light output. I think it's perfect for playability. Uh, Horo Tips, one of the best. Did you? I sent you down some Horo Tips too, didn't I? Yeah, 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 I have them. Did you try gonna... any of those yet? Not yet. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm waiting on getting a backup uh, brake shaft from Dominic. Uh, when I get that, then I'm gonna try it out. So, sure. Uh, make sure to put that white storm on. You're gonna love that thing. That's a jump tip. So don't cool. put it on your brake tip. Put it on your jump tip. You're gonna love that thing though. That thing's okay. Incredible. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, digital pool. Uh, obviously, we've been talking about you all all this uh, <laughs> all this uh, podcast, trying to get you to do better things with their uh, their schedule, right? So yeah. Uh, Salado. Salado player app, uh, Billiards Digest. Mike's not here, but shout out to Mike Pinozo who uh, runs Billiard Digest. Go over and get yourself a subscription to that. And then Insight Performance Coaching, which you partake in as well. I did, yeah. I, I worked with Tara. She actually just messaged me a little bit ago congratulating me um, uh, on stuff. So I'm working with a local guy now, uh, Devory Edgecombe, who's been really helpful. He's just closer to me, and I can kind of get more iterations with him on a, on a closer level. So. But Tara's great, and she's she's been helpful for sure over year one and two. So, 
Yeah, yeah, she's she's incredible. All right, so uh, with that, we'll we'll throw. A, oh, we'll also give a shout out to the Patreons: Dave Wiersma, uh, Mo Bashir, Cody Wedig, Ed Ladawi, Matt Poland. Uh, thank you all for your continued support with the podcast. And yeah, I guess that's that's it for the week. Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll uh, we'll catch you next week. Sounds good.